In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In April 1865, an extraordinary dinner took place on the edge of the Thames marshes. In a building which has been described by the architectural historian Nicholas Pevsner as a masterpiece of engineering, a Victorian cathedral of ironwork. And inside this brick building, seated among beautiful Romanesque style cast iron ornamentation, the Prince of Wales and other royals sat alongside members of parliament, the Lord Mayor of London, and the Archbishops of Canterbury and York. What was the occasion that brought such an illustrious group together in such an unlikely place? It was the opening ceremony of the Crossness pumping station, and the diners were sitting above four enormous steam engines which had begun to pump thousands of tons of sewage each day from South London into the Thames estuary. And why had sewage become such a prominent political and social topic that it required royalty and churchmen to attend to it? That was because of the great stink. Greater London in 1800 had about a million inhabitants. It relied on inadequate water supplies with cesspits and rudimentary sewers discharging straight into the Thames and the rivers that ran into it. Fifty years later, by 1850, the population had grown to some three million. Water supplies were much improved and modern toilets had been introduced, meaning more water was being flushed into the sewers along with its associated human waste. And the outfall from factories, slaughterhouses, and other industries put further strain on an already failing system, at the same time as cesspits were being closed because of awareness of disease, thereby creating more sewage, which discharged into the Thames, swishing up and down with the tide. The great river flowing through London had increasingly become an open sewer, and not enough had been done to solve the problem. And it came to a head during a heat wave in June 1858, when for several weeks there was no rain, and the temperature out in the sun rose as high as 48 degrees centigrade, that is 118 degrees Fahrenheit, the Thames water level dropped, and the deposits of sewage up to six feet thick on either side of the river rotted and stank. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert attempted to take a pleasure cruise on the river, but returned to shore within a few minutes because the smell was so terrible. The Houses of Parliament on the bank of the Thames were badly affected. The curtains were soaked in disinfectant to no avail. Committee rooms and the library were unusable. Disraeli held a handkerchief to his nose. Parliament considered moving its business elsewhere. The government was attacked for allowing the Thames to become a cesspool and replied that it was none of the government's business. Politics as usual then. There was widespread panic about airborne disease and cholera. 
Newspapers were creating havoc about the great stink and what was going to be done. 200 years ago, the man who would enable all this to change was born in Enfield in North London. His name was Joseph Bazalgette. He was a quiet, unremarkable, gifted and hard-working engineer and family man who lived in suburban London. And his fantastic feats of visionary engineering made modern London possible. He probably saved more lives from waterborne disease than anyone else in this city's history. He was the chief engineer of the London Metropolitan Board of Works. He'd had experience of working in sewage disposal, and it was his proposals that were eventually put into action as the great stink prompted Parliament to authorise the expenditure of what today would be over a billion pounds to engineer a new sewage system. So what did Bazalgette do? He used 318 million bricks to build a system of underground sewers 82 miles long at different heights running west to east, both north and south of the River Thames, and an 1,100 mile long network of street sewers to collect all the sewage and take it to beyond the eastern edge of the city and discharge it into the Thames when the tide was going out to take it away from people. At first, it was still raw sewage they were dumping, but in the following decades, the sewage began to be treated and disposed of with greater care. Because the sewage was traveling for many miles, and much of London is low-lying down by the river, Bazalgette installed large pumping stations to push the sewage up along and out. And Bazalgette also had vision about the landscape. In order to catch the sewage discharging directly into the river, he created the embankments to north and south that we see today, the Victoria, Westminster, and Albert embankments, narrowing the river, providing space for a new underground railway, now the district line, as well as gardens and a major road. And Bazalgette, because he was a hard-working, dedicated engineer, personally checked all the thousands of connections to be made into the new sewer system to make sure it would work well and no corners were cut. Part of his genius also was that he thought about the future. The population of London was over three million and Bazalgette calculated the greatest existing population density, gave every person the most generous allowance of sewage production, and came up with what he thought was the diameter of pipe needed. He then said, well, we're only gonna do this once and there's always the unforeseen, and doubled the diameter of the pipes. And his foresight allowed for the increase in population density with the introduction of tower blocks and further housing. With the original smaller pipe diameters, the sewers would have overflowed by the 1960s, rather than nearly coping up to the present day as they have. There are other fantastic feats by Bazalgette you can see, including the building of several bridges over the Thames, 
and he has a memorial to him in the middle of the Victoria Embankment. But under our feet, at the outflow of the sewage we all produce, lie the fantastic sewers that make life in London possible. But that's not the end of this story. The population of London has more than doubled since Bazalgette's day, and water usage as well as the intensity of rainfall has increased. More buildings and less green space has meant less ground to absorb rainwater. And the result is that the sewers can't cope when there's a lot of rain. When that happens, raw sewage overflows back into the Thames. Now, Bazalgette had designed that, and he expected it to happen only once or twice a year in extreme conditions. Today, it's happening on average once a week, with tens of millions of tons of untreated sewage spilling into the River Thames each year. Thankfully, something is being done about it before it becomes another great stink. If you were to go down the steps of this cathedral, walk down to the bottom of Ludgate Hill and turn left to the end of Blackfriars Bridge, on the right you can see a cofferdam in the river which is going to become a new piece of embankment, one of 24 construction sites across London, underneath which is the 10-year Thames Tideway project. It's building a tunnel 16 miles long, seven meters in diameter, between 30 and 60 meters under the River Thames through the heart of London, using six giant hole-cutting machines, and it's costing over four and a half billion pounds, four times the cost of Bazalgette's scheme, but a much more difficult engineering project. Fantastic feats in the field of sewage disposal thankfully continue. No doubt as you listen to this story, you have your own reflections on what we can learn from it. The two Bible readings in this afternoon's service do have some relation to these fantastic feats. From the history of Israel, we heard about King Hezekiah, who around 700 BC re-engineered the water supplies of Jerusalem as part of trusting in God to defend against the invaders from Assyria. We have the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness, and good civil engineering makes for healthy civic and spiritual life, as well as personal hygiene. As an urgent, urgent threat of invasion made Hezekiah undertake his major works, so the great stink provoked decisive action after years of disease and poor sanitation in London. And the parallel with where we are now in relation to climate change is fairly obvious. The current protests in London, while not as disruptive as the great stink, highlight the urgency of the need to respond now by changing how we live and investing substantially in a different future. In 1858, the government was refusing to accept responsibility to make change happen, but nonetheless, in the end, had to support it. And so we now should be active in supporting 
and living out in our own lives the huge policy and lifestyle changes needed to live sustainably in the world which God has given us to look after. From the New Testament, our reading is the only passage in the Bible that deliberately mentions sewers, although dung heaps do occur quite a lot in the Jewish scriptures. And in the reading, Jesus points out that physical food is not what makes us wicked. And the problem of human sin comes out of our own hearts. Greed and selfishness, laziness and complacency, pride and violence. There is a great spiritual stink in our world where exploitation and conflict, corruption, slavery and abuse of people and the environment are all too common and short-term profit seems more important than long-term sustainability. The Christian faith is that Jesus came to tackle the spiritual and practical problems that lie rotting along the banks of our shared and individual lives. And that the fantastic and challenging love of God is the basis on which we can all engineer a shared and hopeful future. In 1865, there was that formal royal dinner in a sewage pumping station to celebrate a new age of fantastic sewers. And whenever today in London we pull the plug out of a sink or flush a toilet, Let's give thanks for the fantastic feats of Joseph Bazalgette and his successors that keep us physically clean and fresh. And let's also commit ourselves at the same time, spiritually and prayerfully, as well as practically, to work within the love of God, individually and together, that each of us and all our world might be transformed for the better. Joseph Bazalgette was not a hero, but a quiet visionary. And if he could change his world, why can't we change ours? And that will be something really worthwhile sitting down at dinner to celebrate.